Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me, I think I've only done it once before. I had Todd Warner and Jeff Merrick on, and it's the only other time I've really had two guests on at once, but I had to have the Keeping Carlson boys on to do this uh, two-part crossover fantasy extravaganza. So joining me today on today's show are Elon and Brian from Keeping Carlson. What's going on, guys? Hey, Dimitri. How's it going? Happy to be here. We just recorded an episode of Keeping Carlson about the Western Conference. I'm excited to talk about the East. And you save, you definitely saved a friendship by not picking only one of us to be a guest on your show. We appreciate you making a rare exception. Yeah, I was thinking of making you guys either flip a coin or fight to the death or however people make big decisions in their lives. But ultimately, I figured it was easier just to get both of you on. So uh, for those of you that haven't listened to part one, where we talked about the Western Conference, obviously go do so. But in case we need a kind of a bit of refresher for some people, what we're going to do here is we're going to bounce around the Eastern Conference this time and we're going to do... We're going to try to do four minutes per team. Uh, when we were doing the Western part, we struggled to, at least at the beginning, stick to those time constraints. But I think, feel like we got better as we were going along. So we're going to try to uh, try to do that here and cover all 16 teams and uh, hopefully get out of here in about an hour or so. So let's uh, let's get right into it with the Boston Bruins. Um, do you want to tee us up for that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, to me, it makes sense, right? When you're talking about Anaheim and Arizona, you're going to go seven, eight minutes. Like, yes. you know, obviously we could roll through teams like Winnipeg. They're boring. But yeah, Boston, the, the player I wanted to bring up here is Jake DeBrusque. He had a two goal game versus Calgary in China. 50 point pace last season, kind of under the radar. He had 43 points in 70 games. He could see top power play time this year. Like Spooner's gone. He was always there. Rick Nash came in and took that top power play spot, but he's gone. I feel like it's either DeBrusque or Donato who's going to play with those three amazing forwards. And either way, He'll probably play on the second line with Krejci. So uh, I don't know. I feel like he has a lot of upside for next year. Yeah, he definitely does. Um, Jake Zabrusk, I heard that his jerseys were just flying off the shelves in China after that two-goal performance. Everyone in China wearing a Bruins jersey has Zabrusk on the back. He also managed two shots per game as a rookie, which is, like, impressive. A lot of people think uh, that's ho-hum. Uh, maybe for an established scoring NHLer it is, but for someone like Jake DeBrus just making his way into the league and not getting the greatest deployment, that's uh, that's pretty good. It's pretty promising. And he definitely, like, there were a lot 
of names after the top three in Boston last year. There's a lot of middle six guys all jogging for a position. And DeBrusque was the guy who consistently stood out amongst them. The other name was Ryan Donato, but he played so few games and then got benched a few times in the playoffs. It was really hard to gauge exactly where he lands. Uh, but DeBrusque Donato is, a, is an interesting sort of push and pull going into next year as to which guy is going to be the most exciting sophomore. Yeah. I mean, obviously we saw last postseason, especially in that series against the Leafs, the Jake DeBrusque really kind of came into his own and was showing flashes of being an impact player with Donato, very small NHL sample size, but just the fact that across multiple levels last year, he was able to produce pretty much wherever he played. And even in limited usage with the Bruins, he was generating a ton of shots. So that inspires confidence. And you're right, like for this team that generally has Stanley Cup aspirations. They're going to need more than just the one line. And whether it's DeBrusque, Donato, or even a Danton Heinen who showed flashes last year, or you go on down the line with your Jakob Forsbacher Carlson or Andrews Bjork. Like there's a bunch of young guys here with a lot of opportunity for growth and prime scoring minutes. And it'll be fascinating to see who takes it. I think here's the interesting thing for me. Do you think we see all year that they're going to stick with that kind of tried and true Bergeron, Marchand, Pasternak line up top? Or do you think they're going to go with a bit more of a balanced approach? Because, you know, we were talking about the stars on your guys' podcast. And in that case, we were saying it doesn't really make sense to have Radulov up on that top line. Maybe you're better off having someone else there and going with two scoring lines. But in this case with the Bruins, like those three guys have been so dominant together that Maybe it's just one of those things where you just don't mess with the thing that's going so well and you just do keep them together and hope that the second line can somehow take shape without them. They did try to mess with it last year, but it didn't last long, which I, I feel that might be instructive into into thinking whether they have an appetite for it again. Remember at the start of last year, Elon, it was it was Anders Bjork, right? For what was it, 10, 12? Did they make it 20 games? It wasn't that long. Yeah, it was Pasternak who got bumped to the second line. I feel like the second line on Boston looks a lot better than what it would have been on Dallas if they kept Radulov on line one. Like Krejci and DeBrusco, I think is really good. And, and you know, Donato or Heinen, I feel like that's a pretty good second line. And don't forget there's David Backus there who could play on a third line. So I feel like they're a little bit deeper than the Dallas Stars. But it's not outside of the realm of possibility for sure. But that top line, like you said, Dimitri, they're so good. And I'd also love to get your take. I don't know how much time we have left on Boston, but Brian mentioned on our show a couple of times that he's a little bit concerned about Tuka Rask maybe being able to hold on to that starting job or getting all the games that he usually gets with Yaroslav Halak coming in, who's a really good goalie, and maybe even potentially almost a better goalie than Tuka Rask at this point. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, I've been worried about Rask's sort of downturn in performance for year over year for a couple of seasons now. And last year, I know his overall numbers to end the year um, kind of regressed a little bit and didn't necessarily finish as well, as good as they were for stretches last season. But I don't think it's a surprise that he was doing a lot better in kind of like he only played 53 games compared to the 60s or so that he'd been playing in years past. So maybe it bodes well for them, considering they do want to play late into the postseason to keep toning down Rask's usage and give Halak, even if he doesn't take that starter spot, 30, 35, even up to 40 starts. And it's really tough to evaluate Halak at this point, just because that Islanders team he was playing behind last year was a historically bad defensive team. So I don't think his numbers actually indicate how much he has left in the tank. And we've seen these Bruins backups over the years, whether it's Aaron Anton Hudobin or Chad Johnson or, or who have you have kind of standalone value as whenever they're playing, you want to have them in your lineup. So I agree. I think Halak provides really intriguing value, especially in deeper leagues. Yeah. 
I'm on start answering with yeah for anyone who just listened to part one. I've got to come up. Maybe I'll start with the I'll, I'll go yes. But Halak Halak is good. We we talked on the on on part one about how unprotected Jonathan Quick was relative to what the LA Kings usually do. Yaroslav Halak and Thomas Grice were like the least protected goalies, the worst protected goalies in the NHL last year in Long Island, and Halak still managed to put up semi-respectable numbers. And that sort of obscures the fact that he was a pretty good goalie last year. He was just getting shelled unreasonably. So you put him on Boston, a competent team. And I, I, I think if he gets enough chances, if Rask plays inconsistently enough or gets injured, I think it could be Halak's net by the end of the year. But I know, Elon, that makes you very uncomfortable because I'm the only one saying it. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's... uh let's switch gears here and talk about the Buffalo Sabres. And I, I, I want to tee this up for us. I, the, we'll get into the forwards and Jack Eichel and his new wingers and all that. But in terms of the blue line, what fascinates me is obviously the two, the two Rasmuses, the two Rasmi, <laughs> two Rasmuses, um, you know, Dalian's expectations and the hype is understandably and justifiably sky high is the first overall pick and sort of projecting to be this generational franchise changing defenseman. Um, I think, you know, Rasmus Ristolainen, on the other hand, has been a guy who gets knocked time and time again from the analytics community and, and from people on hockey Twitter in terms of his performance. But he's actually been a really useful fantasy guy just because he's been playing these ridiculous 25, 26 minutes a night. And I wonder if, you know, having Dallin in there and maybe having some better players around them, maybe they can tone down Ristolainen's exposure and usage. And I'm wondering sort of the give and take between whether, you know, if his Maybe he'll be more efficient, but maybe his actual volume will come down and whether that's ultimately a good or bad thing for him from a fantasy perspective. Yeah, I think a lot of people's main concern with Ristolainen for next year was that they were thinking, what if Dalin comes in and knocks Ristolainen from the top power play? But that's not what's been happening in the preseason. They've either been having both defensemen there or even just maybe Ristolainen there. So if Ristolainen can stay on the top power play, like you say, Buffalo has all these new exciting forwards. You know, Jeff Skinner's in there. Like, we'll get to them in a little bit. Then, yeah, I feel like at least for one more year, Ristolainen can be great. And in fantasy, like I say, he's also great for your hits and blocks. So he's really good all across the board. Brian, like, what do you think is Dalin's going to be able to do next year? I think Dalene will be able to make his way or at least get, get a couple auditions onto that top power play. But I don't necessarily think that means awful news for Ristolainen. Ristolainen is still going to need to be leaned upon enough at even strength that he still should have opportunity to gather those peripherals like hits and blocks that he's used to getting get a couple shots in there. And I still don't know that Dalene appearing on the top power play necessarily means that Ristolainen has to leave. They can both work that power play just because Buffalo isn't terribly deep at forward. So it wouldn't be uh, the worst situation for them if they run three forwards, two defensemen, just because of the personnel available to them. And they could go San Jose, have uh, like Carlson and Brent Burns. Then you could have Dalin and Ristolainen. Pretty pretty comparable players, I'd say. (laughs) Running both units. So. Yeah, lots of Carlson Dalin comparisons. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think I think Dalin is going to be a special player. I wonder, you know, we haven't really seen. I'm trying to think of. I mean, Aaron Ekblad was pretty good in his draft plus one season coming straight into the NHL. But typically speaking, we don't really see defensemen step right into the NHL and be impact players. But obviously, very few few guys come along with Dalin's skill set, and also, like, part of fantasy is talent and ability and another part is opportunity and it's clear on the Sabres team that 
Dalian might have a great combination of both because they desperately need him to eat up a bunch of minutes. Yeah. Though talking about the forwards, we do need to mention Jeff Skinner, right? Like I feel like he's <laughs> such an obvious breakout candidate for next season. Brian laughs. I don't know why. You, you, you need to mention Jeff Skinner. He's great. So he had a goal and five shots on Saturday versus the Leafs playing with Eichel and Reinhardt, which was, which is where we were hoping that Jeff Skinner would land. Obviously with Connor Sherry injured, it's all the more likely that Skinner gets on that top line. I feel like he's a lock to bounce back from his 49 points last season. He was playing with Derek Ryan and Justin Williams. Now he's going to move up to play with Eichel and Reinhardt. That's such an improvement. I feel like Skinner can get right back to his production from a couple years ago when he was in the high 30s for goals. And, you know, I think it was almost 70 points, like 65 plus points. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'll, I'll jump in there and take this. I, yeah. think, I think Skinner is, yeah, he's going to be great. I think the more impactful thing from a fantasy perspective here is just the fact that I'm really excited to see what Jack Eichel is going to be capable of with real NHL wingers who can actually take advantage of some of the opportunities he creates. And on your show, we were talking about potential, you know, McDavid's obviously the number one guy in fantasy. And then after that, we've got the Lyonnais and the McKinnons and Kucherov and so on and so forth. And I think Eichel's ability like should have him in that conversation. If he actually is able to have guys who convert all the plays he creates with his speed and his puck carrying ability. So yeah, I'm, I'm very excited for him and I'm curious to see how quickly those guys are going to mesh and what it's going to lead to from a fantasy perspective. Hopefully they'll, they'll mesh very well. Jeff Skinner has not always been a high efficiency converter. He's sort of been up and down over the course of his career. He was sort of, it's funny because he, is not entirely different from Evander Kane, right? Came out with a huge rookie season, 31 goals, tons of shots, and then has just sort of been wildly inconsistent, although his highs have been a little higher than Evander Kane's, and he doesn't throw hits quite as often. But he's been a low-percentage converter uh, for several years of his career. It looks like at least in two of the last three years, Skinner has had a shooting percentage above 10%. So hopefully he's more or less bucked that trend. And one really exciting thing about Skinner's season for both Skinner and Eichel is his presence on the power play. Did you know that in each of the last four seasons, Jeff Skinner has never seen more than a 47% share of his team's power play minutes and as low as 37% share. So uh, I don't imagine Buffalo is going to play Jeff Skinner as sparsely or scarcely on the power play as Carolina chose to for whatever reason. Skinner seems like a guy with the shot that he seemed. It's funny because I think of him as a guy who can shoot, but his shooting percentage doesn't really bear that out. But in any case, the power play is a great place for someone to convert at a higher rate than they're used to. Look at you bringing the fancy stats on the PDO cast. I try every so often. Is that okay? Do I have to? Do I'm I have excited to about it. I'm it? sure my listeners are as well. I mean, we're <laughs> going to be talking about like hits and block shots. So we need to uh, counteract that. So the people aren't throwing up all in their mouths the entire time. I uh, can always follow up with plus minus if need be. <laughs> no, that's going to be on the uh, R rated version. Um, all right. <laughs> Carolina hurricanes. Yeah. I feel like the, the clock. The thing that I'm excited about with them is I've got all these new young players like in the preseason. They've been going with the top line of Aho Svechnikov and Valentin Zikov, which is a very intriguing top line. I guess that wouldn't be so great for Toivo Teravainen, who would then, I guess, fall to play with Nekash. Oh, yeah, we, we were trying to figure this out in our Nichas. Nichas and maybe Furland on the second line. But like, I feel like Zikov right now could be, and I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. By the way, uh, Dimitri, kudos, or should I say kudos on your Hudobin pronunciation. <laughs> Earlier on, 
That was really great. Uh, we only learned that recently. But yeah, I feel like Zikov could be a really nice sleeper for next year if he's going to be playing with Aho. though apparently it was Aho centering that top line and Rod Brindamore was quoted as saying he wasn't so impressed with Aho, etc. So maybe he won't be able to stay there. Yeah, we'll see about that. I mean, Zikov got a bit of a cameo. Like He had a good AHL season last year for, for the Carolina Hurricanes uh, farm team, and he came up at the end of the year and in limited usage had seven points in 10 games, I believe, and obviously has a ton of talent. So I'm really excited to see what he can do riding shotgun with those guys. And I think, obviously, like Sebastian Ajo is a big play driver there, and it's going to hurt to be able to Arvine and to not be playing with him. But just based on some of the other guys that they have at their disposal, like I think there's enough talent in that top six to go around where I don't think he's going to completely fall off the face of the earth either. Hopefully for Taravainen, because I feel like a lot of his production was because he got to play with Aho at even strength. Although to his credit, Taravainen had 25 power play points last year, and there's no reason why he couldn't get there again. Uh, he did have 17 even strength goals, though, when his uh, his usual shooting percentages would have dictated somewhere closer to 10 goals. Uh, so you take him off the top line at even strength, and that could bleed out, uh, bleed bleed a few more. Uh, points from his totals. Uh, Zikov is the one who I'm like super interested in. Everyone's talking about Svechnikov. Well, everyone's talking about Svechnikov. You can keep your eye on Valentin Zikov. Uh, you said that he had that cameo, Dimitri, and he did really well in it. Three goals, mm-hmm. four assists for seven points, 18 shots in 10 games. And you mentioned he was doing well in the AHL just to quantify that. 33 goals in 63 games before being called up. Uh, so fantastic year all around, both in the AHL and NHL for him. He seems ready. I just wonder if the Hurricanes are going to have some kind of limit on how many rookies they can play on their first line, right? Yeah. Like, do you want Zikov, Nichas, and Zvechnikov all on separate lines, or can you combine at least two of them somewhere? Yeah, it's funny, like, because Brian, obviously when you say, like, you're more interested in Zikov and Svechnikov, you mean in terms of, like, because everyone's talking about Svechnikov, like, yeah. in fantasy, I'd rather have Svechnikov, but I feel like you almost have to be a hipster when you're playing fantasy <laughs> hockey, like, you know, Svechnikov's the hotness, so in your draft, everyone's gonna reach for Svechnikov, and you're saying maybe you wait a bunch of rounds and you get Zikov at a fraction of the price, and maybe he's not a fraction of the value. So it's fun. Yeah. And, and there's a lot to talk about on Carolina. I don't know how much time we have left because there's the defense situation with Hamilton coming in and Justin Falk is there. And Justin Falk was so bad last year. He only had 31 points. So I see he's been, still been hanging in on the top power play. They've been going with two defensemen as well, at least in the preseason. I feel like that probably won't last. But there's also the goalie situation. So Dimitri, what do you think? Which one should we talk about? Well, we only have 40 seconds here. I do want to quickly talk about the defense because, yeah, Falk, you mentioned, is, is still going to be there. He's still going to be eating into it. And he hasn't been as effective on the power play. Like he was scoring double digit goals for a while there in the past two years I believe it's fallen off quite a bit to like three only three or four per season but with Dougie Hamilton I mean he's one of the best defensemen in the league and he was still putting up crazy numbers even though his three um, seasons in Calgary his average ice time was 1946 a night 1941 and 2132 which is just comically low for a guy of his caliber and I'm very fascinated to see whether he gets unleashed and actually starts playing closer to that you know, mid twenties that we typically see top defensemen play in the league. And if he does, if he's going to be able to handle it, which there's no reason to believe he won't and what that's going to do for his overall production. What do you think the chances are that Falk and Hamilton play on like apparently in preseason, they're playing together on the top power play. Think that's going to stick. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure. It kind of doesn't seem like a greatest fit because I I figure you'd probably want both guys to be more trigger men. So it seems like there's, you know, there's only one puck to go around and maybe not, that's not the best way to stylistically deploy them, but it's going to be fascinating to follow. I think 
ultimately Hamilton, just based on his ability, should be wind up winning out and will hopefully be playing much, much more than he was in Calgary. Um, one final thing on Carolina before we do move on. You mentioned the goaltending. I don't necessarily really want to unpack it right now just because it could be its own separate podcast based on what we've <laughs> seen from Darling and Carolina goalies in general over the years. But obviously, if they're going to take that transition from being this preseason sleeper team to actually finally making the playoffs and realizing their hype, they're going to need more than an 888 here percentage from Scott Darling next year. Um, let's, uh, well, let's... they brought they brought in Petr Mrazek, so obviously that means they're going to be a lot better. Uh, another hype guy. Awesome. Uh, just what Carolina <laughs> needed. Okay, let's get, to Car- let's get to Columbus here, who... You know, I was talking of the Blues as being one of my favorite fantasy teams uh, with all the different personnel they have in the league. I think like their Eastern Conference uh, mirror image team for me is Columbus. They have so many guys that I feel like we could talk about in this segment. Oh, well, I'd love to talk about Dubois, actually, because like the big storyline on Columbus is, of course, Panarin. And is he going to get traded or what's going to happen? Because he doesn't seem to want to sign there long term. But let's just assume for this conversation that Panarin's going to stay. And then you've got Dubois, who had a really nice rookie season, 48 points. And actually, it was he was a lot better at the second half of the year when he got on and became the top line, top power play center. 26 points in 33 games after the All-Star break, which would be good for a 65 point pace. So I feel like you've got a guy here that could be like a really nice breakout candidate next season. And like, like I said, 48 points last season, I could see him getting up to 60, especially if he's playing the full year with Panarin. Yeah, he's a super exciting player. Uh, Dubois, here, here's what we found in our almanac. He was the 18th player. When I get super specific, it's because I'm borrowing something. I, I don't just happen to know <laughs> these things off the top of my head. I, I did the research a month ago. Uh, he's the 18th player to score at a 48-point pace or better as a 19-year-old in the salary cap era, so, so since 2005, 2006, which uh, is worth something, right? It is closest comparison if you look in terms of points and shots on goal are guys like Matthew Kachuk and Nico Heeshier, uh, which aren't, like, that's not bad company to be in. And he's someone who also, you know, people talked in his, in his rookie season that he was a little small, that he can put on some, some body mass, some weight, and... Uh, I don't know. I, I, I want to buy into that a little bit to think that oh, usually I don't get caught up in all the conditioning talk, like someone's coming into camp in the best shape of their life and whatnot. But when you're talking about an 18 or 19 year old player whose body is still actually growing and developing, uh, it feels worthwhile to consider that this could be something that helps him uh, just another year of physical maturity. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially at this point in his career in year two and you look at just how he was used as the season went along and they clearly were relying upon him and trusting him more and more. And he was towards the end of the season, had some games where he was eating up a ton of minutes. And the fact that, you know, John Tortorella being his coach, I was actually willing to get that type of responsibility to him is clearly a testament to how good this guy is and will be moving forward. And that top line, you know, the third piece there that, He's been around a while and he's not necessarily doesn't have the upside that Panarin and, and Pierre-Luc Dubois have. But Cam Atkinson, I was looking at this because I, I did own him in, in my league last year and he started off real slow. He got that massive contract extension. He was actually like a healthy scratch for a while. He only had 14 points in 33 uh, games before the All-Star break with only one power play point. In the 32 games after, he was a point a game with nine power play points. So he clearly turned it on and that kind of coincided with them uniting that those three together. And he's always been one of those guys that generates a ton of shots. And if he's going to be playing on that top line, I, I don't know if he's necessarily going to be a point of game guy, but I feel like he could have a monster bounce back season. Yeah, I totally agree. Like Atkinson 
is someone who you might be able to get for really good value in your drafts so if people look at their full season pace. I think I made an analogy at some point on our show that he was like the kid from Rookie of the Year. Remember that movie? Like he got injured and then all of a sudden he was able to pitch like 100 mile per hour fastballs. I feel like that must, must have happened with Atkinson, right? He sucked. Then he got injured and all of a sudden he was a point per game player. Yeah. And, the, you know, you look at his team. I mean, you know, they've got the Josh Andersons who kind of had his coming out party last year. Boone Jenner, who was awesome after Thomas Vanek came at the trade deadline. Sonny Milano, who has a bunch of pedigree and upside. Like, they just have so many interchangeable moving parts who could potentially have big seasons. And the other combination I'm looking at, and I don't know what you guys think about it, is Alex Wemberg, who for the most part was very disappointing last year. Looks like he's going to be playing with Oliver Bjorkstrand, who has been a, a personal favorite of mine for a long time. And just sort of that combination of Wemberg's passing with Bjorkstrand's finishing ability Seems like on paper, like a match made in heaven. And I wonder if those two guys are going to click and and both have really big seasons. That's exactly what I've been thinking going into this season. And it's enough promise between Wenberg and Bjorkstrand to make me want to give Wenberg a second chance. He was awful last year, right? He had a 43-point pace. Uh, if you took his point totals, he had 35 points in 66 games. Put it over 82 games, 43 points terrible Uh, he's not a big goal scorer so you're never going to get that he's not a big shot taker either but if he can set up someone who can finish and we're we know he can set up I just want to find out if Oliver Bjorkstrand can finish and he is someone who I've been hopeful can uh he doesn't seem to have gotten at at least this the Tortorella seal of approval quite (laughs) as quickly as Pierre-Luc Dubois managed to yeah, no, hopefully it'll come this year. I mean, he obviously has the talent and, and his track record over the years at lower levels in the case that he's capable. Uh, one final thing before we do get to the Red Wings, and this is kind of like a random long shot thing that might not have a massive fantasy implication, but I'm very curious to see how they handle their goaltending situation this year. And what we see from Eunice Corpusalo, he only played 18 games last year, I believe, and Bobrovsky's an impending free agent, and they have this guy, Elvis Zilkins, who has been lighting it up overseas and winning all sorts of awards, probably coming over next year, so this kind of feels like a potential crossroad season or make-or-break season for Corpusalo, who has kind of been in that conversation with the UC Saros's of the world as the next big thing in the goaltending community. Um, it seems like if that's going to come to fruition, this might be the year we finally need to see him realize some of that potential. Yeah, that'll be interesting. We'll talk about another next big thing in the goaltending community when we get to the Philadelphia chapter. Can't believe we made it all the way through Columbus. We didn't talk about former 70-point guy Nick Felino, and we didn't even talk about Zach Wierenski. There's just too many guys. This is uh, It's a really fun team, and, and I would be perfectly okay with owning a bunch of them. Let's get to the Red Wings, who have less intrigue. <laughs> a lot of um, guys. Here's, 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 my, uh, here's my one quick question to tee us up for the Red Wings. Can anyone, now that it sounds like Mike Green's going to be out for a while and hopefully uh, best wishes to him with his health, hopefully he can come back eventually. Um, can anyone on this blue line step up and have fantasy relevance? It's like hard <laughs> to imagine who it would be, right? Like Trevor Daly, Nicholas Cronwall, but it's like not the 90s. So uh, <laughs> is this guy Dennis Cholowski? Who's uh, who's Can getting around? Come back! I feel like he'd like instantly be their number one defenseman. <laughs> he he might be able to. Honestly, it's it's a really sad group. The, the Red Wings are barely equipped with Mike Green on their roster. They are very ill-equipped if Mike Green isn't there. But this Chalowski guy, he was a he's, he's a first round pick uh, back in 2016, taken 20th overall, left-handed defenseman, and he ran the power play for Prince George and Portland of the WHL last season, finishing with 14 goals 
goals, 52 points. Uh, no, 52 assists for 66 points in 69 games, which is pretty nice. I think the plan was for Chalowski to try, I assume anyway, that he was going to get to quarterback the Red Wings AHL power play, this being his first pro season. But now I wonder if this is like, okay, well, we might as well, because who else is there? The Red Wings would normally, even with Mike Green around, they're like, okay, yeah, Nicholas Cronwell, you you go in. Green, you're on the bench. Don't even bother going out. But now that they've actually, I have faith because the Red Wings are not seeming to want to audition Justin Abdelkader on the top line this year for the first time in I a while. I thought you were so maybe- for him to be on the, on the defense unit. I would not be surprised, but, but the fact that they're moving away from Abdelkader makes me hope that they're moving away from Cronwall, which means maybe Cholowski or if not Trevor Daly. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I guess a long shot name. I'm not sure if he's going to make the Red Wings. He might start the year at AHL level is Philip Hronik, who last year had a huge season in Grand Rapids and seems like he has more offensive upside than a Cholowski. So I'm not sure if it's going to take a while, but maybe some point mid season, he might be a name that resurfaces. I didn't want to, I didn't want to short sell this team too bad up front because while I think they're going to be really bad next year, um, there's some interesting names there, obviously, right? With like the Larkins and the Mantas of the world and Athanasiu is really fun. And obviously Rasmussen and, and Zadina are going to make their first appearances at this level. So it's going to be curious to watch them, which is weird that the name I want to talk about most from these guys is Tyler Bertuzzi. Uh, well, yeah, he's the one who's been playing on the top line with Larkin and Mantha during the preseason. If that holds, that's a really great spot for Bertuzzi because I really like Larkin. Like now that Zetterberg is gone, unfortunately he's hanging up his skates. Like I feel like Larkin is going to be the guy and, and he probably has room to grow. Like, he had 63 points last year and was only getting 45% of the power play time. So if Larkin, you know, all of a sudden gets on the top power play and maybe becomes a 65, 70 point player, like and then, you know, someone playing with him like Tyler Bertuzzi could be pretty good. Yeah, he's got that interesting combination of, you know, the he's feistiness. So if you're playing a penalty minutes league, he can help you out. And he's produced at the lower levels. I mean, you look every year he got better at the AHL level. And I know Ryan Stimson was either writing about this or tweeting about it recently. But he was he appeared on this list of guys who like most frequently set up. Uh, prime scoring opportunities on one-timers, which I found fascinating and kind of lines up with the fact that he's generally had pretty good assist totals throughout his young career. So yeah, I mean, if he's going to land in that cushy top line spot, he's a guy who you can get late in your draft who could potentially give you really surprisingly good numbers. How cushy is that top line spot in Detroit though, really? I mean, you get Dylan Larkin who looks legit, right? He's still just 22 years old. Uh, he only saw second unit power play time last year. So I think he's primed to have a big season. He brought up his shot rates uh, last season back up to where they were in his rookie season. And they, they had dipped in between. We were like, which is the real Dylan Larkin. So it's great to play with Dylan Larkin and their guys like there's Mantha and Athanasiu. And I guess we're like Nyquist is really down the list now because yeah. we're sort of giving up on him. Right. I think it's just a matter of opportunity. Like just maybe he could like fall his way into production just based on the fact that he might be playing a lot of minutes on this team. Right. And, and sometimes in fantasy, that's all that really matters. Um, yeah. Let's, let's do Florida. That's we actually somehow squeezed four teams, four minutes out of the Red Wings, which is uh, impressive on our part. Um, the Panthers, 
where do you guys want to start off with? Them? I mean, oh my God. Like this team, this top six is so good. Barkov, Bjugstad, Dadanov, then Trocek, Hoffman, Huberdeau. That's been the line in the preseason so far, which is no surprise because Bjugstad got on the top line with Barkov and Dadanov last year and was amazing to end the year. I was actually surprised though to see the power play lines. We knew someone was going to have to get dropped from that amazing group of players from the top power play with Hoffman coming in. And we were actually discussing a lot over the summer. Is it going to be maybe Dadanov? Is it going to maybe be, you know, Hoffman who doesn't make on the top power play? But it's actually Jonathan Huberdeau who's been off the top power play in the preseason. Who knows if that will last, but I mean, man, Huberto, by the way, also kind of ended last year on a bit of a down note, only 14 points in his last 23 games after being so great, like over 70 point pace before that. But yeah, after he got dropped from the first line, he was really down for, the, like I said, those last 23 games. And now if he's also not on the top power play, I wonder if in this amazing, you know, looking team, and obviously if we're talking about the team overall, like Florida's looking great. I'm really excited about them. But fantasy wise, the one guy who I'm a little bit concerned about is Jonathan Huberto. Yeah, no, I mean, obviously, um, getting bumped down there and, and not being playing with those guys uh, on the power plays is, is a big deal. And I'm curious to see whether they're going to go, I guess they will just kind of out of necessity, but also because it worked well for them. I mean, they were playing very well down the stretch when they were riding those top two centers. I mean, how often do you see the number one center playing 22, over 22 minutes a night, and then the second guy playing 21 and a half? Like, how much they were relying on Barkov and Trocek is kind of astounding and both guys are young and in their prime and there's reason to believe they can hold up to it. But yeah, I mean, obviously that provides uh, great value for those guys. And with Barkov, um, you know, he's kind of made this ascent finally into that elite tier of guys from a fantasy perspective. And I was just happy last year to see that he could finally hold up for a full season. I believe he played 78 or 79 games, which is the first time he's really done that in his career. So yeah, it seems like it's all systems go for that top six. Yeah, Barkov not made of glass, which is great news for everybody. Uh, going back to Jonathan Huberdeau, I, you know, like you mentioned, the, the centermen got played reasonably close in, in terms of their time on ice. But one of the reasons for that was was because Vincent Trocek still managed to get on the top power play unit. And Elon actually had this Twitter exchange with uh, one of the Panthers beat writers today, Jameson Olive at Jameson Coop or Co-op. I'm going to just guess Coop. Anyway, uh, and Huberto was absent from the top power play unit, which is kind of concerning. And the beat writer uh, made this argument that, well, Huberto will be the star on power play too. Like he'll just get fed and get to take a lot of shots. But I don't think that's going to be enough. To, if he does lose his top line spot and his top power play spot, I mean, you're looking at him losing uh, at least 60 or 90 seconds of ice per game. And you're wondering if his deployment might go back uh, to as low as it was back in 2015-16 when Huberdeau played second line minutes and had just 13 power play points. He managed 60 points that year. Of course, he's better now than he was then. But you just have to keep in mind how limited his deployment could potentially be. Of course, this could all be for naught. And he ends up on the top power play unit and on the top line at some point also. Uh, it's all so sad that this top six is so strong because there's not even an opening for Henrik Borgstrom to try and yeah. find his way in there. Yeah, no, we talked about uh, Troy Terry on your guys' show, and now we're going to talk about his college linemate who has insane upside. And it's probably not going to be realized this year just based on he's going to, it's a bit of a numbers game, and he'll probably need an injury to crack that top six, as you mentioned. But I mean, what this guy is capable of. 
with the puck on his stick is remarkable. There's a reason why his nickname is the artist and he eventually is going to be a dominant NHL player. And if you're playing in a dynasty league or something like that, and you can stash him, uh, this is a good time to do so because heading into drafts next year, it might be too late. Yeah, and also, can I just point out quickly how good Evgeny Dadanov is? Like, he had 65 points in 74 games last year. That's a 72-point pace. And he, you know, was kind of, like, he got injured. And then when he came back, he wasn't getting on the top line, top power play right away. And he was kind of, he had a slow stretch. So he could have even been better if he was healthy the whole year. Like, I'm really excited to see what Dadanov could do next year. I could see him being a 75-point guy for sure. Just to think- step away from fantasy for a second. Oh, sorry, Dimitri, did you want to respond? To no, that? well, while we're while we're on on Dadanov, I, I mean, yeah. we shouldn't move on from the Panthers soon. But I I did want to say, like, I had this funny anecdote from last year where I play in this one keeper league, and I we at the first week of the season we run our waivers, and I decided I was going to spend a lot of money on an impact player, and I couldn't decide between uh, Dadanov and Shipashev, and I went with Shipashev. Oh and, no. Uh, it did not work out for me. Oh no! That, that's that whole. I want the whole story on that someday. That was such a bizarre chapter. Like, and it was only made more bizarre by the fact that Vegas did not need him, which yeah. is ridiculous. Yeah. I, I wonder how much, like, if they could have been better with him, or if he really was getting in the way. One day that story will come out. Um, so in Florida, the top six, like, we're just drooling over it. But then you look at the bottom six. You look at the defense. You look at the goaltending. And are, do they have it? Is the top six going to be enough to compensate for all of that and make them a playoff team or at least a bubble team? Well, I mean, they're clearly the fourth best team in their own divisions. So they're already competing, competing for the two, one of the two wildcard spots. And with how good the Metro is, like it's going to be pretty tough for them to squeeze in. And I think they're going to need a healthier Roberto Luongo season and they're going to need some of these other depth guys to step up. But I mean, we saw last year, like that top six almost carried them into the playoffs with a really strong second half. So I think they're definitely in consideration for that. Yeah. I think it's a lot has to do with if Roberto Luongo could stay healthy. I don't know if James Reimer could do it, yeah. but yeah, I guess we got to move on to our next team, right? Yeah. Let's do the Montreal Canadians who here's like, if we're looking, taking a big picture view of a team like this, and I'm trying to think of like a narrative that ties it all together. I think, looking at this team's shooting percentages and how they've assembled some of these guys and whether there's actually credence to the fact that there's something funky going on here or whether last year was just an aberration and they're going to regress this year is ultimately going to determine uh, how successful this team is because whether it's Charles Houdon with his 5.6 shooting percentage or Arturi Lekkanen at 7.3, Max Domi 6% last year, Jonathan Drouin pacing this team with uh, 7.9%. Like, look at all these guys that they're going to be relying on for heavy offensive minutes this season and all of them really struggled converting their shots into goals last year. And I don't think it's necessarily... Like if you look at those players and what how talented they are, I don't really see why that would necessarily continue heading into this season. So maybe this team could be kind of like filled with a bunch of by-low guys who could exceed expectations this season. Well, I think you're the first person who's had like optimism about the Montreal Canadiens take in 2018-19. That's really nice of you to say. (laughs) Well, because also you could say that Carey Price probably should have stopped a few more pucks Mm -hmm. than he did. So you could get that percentage converted as well. Yeah, I mean, maybe like you lose Pacioretty and you lose Galchenyuk. You get Max Domi, who now we're not even going to be able to see what he could do in the preseason because I don't know what he was thinking, getting suspended for punching Aaron Ekblad for no reason. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there are some interesting players. We had Brandon Gallagher have a bit of a breakout last year. Mm-hmm. It'll be cool to see what he can do. It looks like he's been playing with Thomas Tatar, who came back from Patrick Ready Trade, and Dano playing on a line together. And like, that's not so bad, actually. Like, you think prob- of Joel Armia. 
Oh, Army has been playing on the top line with Domi and Drew, and or at least he was supposed to. Mm-hmm. So he could also be kind of decent. Like, I feel like there's some value there. I don't know. Like, what do you think of Joel Army? Like, he was nothing on Winnipeg before, but he was only playing like 12 minutes and a half per game. So you couldn't really tell how good he is, I think. Yeah, he was an interesting prospect coming up with, with the Jets. I mean, this is just like, uh, or I guess even with Buffalo back in the day, because he was in yeah. the American game trade. But yeah, it's like this team just has a bunch of guys who are potential bounce back candidates. And I'm sure not all of them will. Um, but for a team that is expected and projected to be as bad as they are. And last year they struggled so mightily to score goals. Like they have a sneaky amount of guys that I at least want to keep an eye on this season, I guess, which is something. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to think of something to say about Montreal. That's not just okay, despondent. Talk, talk about Price. Jeff Petrie, he's going to be good until Shea Weber comes back. And even then he'll still be good. Um, mm. Yeah. And Carl yeah. Alsner, he's okay. But Brian, I know you with his contract. Are you, you wrote something down about Armia. Why don't you say this thing about how he was a piece of the Evander Kane deal? Because Dimitri already said it. Yeah. And I remember when he came over from Buffalo, he was sort of a, he felt like a throw in. And there was a lot of commentary going around. Well, you know, he's sort of being framed as a throw in, but there still is some offensive upside there. And I'm just I'm not sure there actually is. I mean, anyone on the top line, anyone, you play anyone for enough minutes, if they're capable of making an NHL team and earning that top line spot, you know, they'll, they'll be okay. Um, yeah, I'd also be more optimistic if Shea Weber wasn't injured. Like, you really don't have a defenseman there who can really drive offense. Like, I guess Jeff Petrie had a really good second half of the year when he took over as the main guy. Do we even think Weber's going to come back? Like, I feel like with the Habs, yeah. you know, that whole Carey Price thing where he was just injured and Weber last year, like, you never know if just, like, is he actually, like, alive? Like, I don't know. Like, I'd love to know if he's going to come back next year or not. Yeah, it's a weird imbalance of this team where it seems like they're rebuilding, especially with their four group, and then they have so much money tied up in Price and Weber and Carl Alsner and Jeff Petrie. It's like, I don't, there doesn't really seem to be much of a plan, which I guess doesn't really have anything to do with uh, today's show about fantasy. But just <laughs> big, big picture, it's a very, very confusing assortment of talent. And I was dragging that on because we are officially at four minutes now. We can move on, thankfully. All right. Oh, well, quickly, let me take 10 more seconds. Carey Price, I. Let's say even the Canadians were an average team. Does Carey Price have an average season? Where should the bar be set? I, I've, I've had a really hard time figuring this out. I still like to think that he can still be at least an average NHL goalie. But I, that, that almost that feels both like equally possible that I'm shortchanging him and that I'm overestimating him. I have no idea. I mean, we're only a year removed. Like, so, okay, in 2015-16, he only played the 12 games, and he was ridiculously good in them. Um, I'm not sure what that tells us. But then it's only, like, a year removed from him having a 923 save percentage in 62 games in 2016-17. And I don't I don't know. Like, last year he was so bad, but I feel like a lot of it was – I mean, it was, the entire team was a mess, and all of their performance was. But I feel like it was a, a lot health-related, and I'm not sure what he's at heading into this season. But if he had a similar – season to what he had in 2016-17, I wouldn't be surprised by any means. So like, I, I feel like I'm fairly optimistic about him heading into this year. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, like the, oh, sorry. The, uh, I'll just say quickly, and then you, Elon. The, the upside is definitely there. I just, and of course, it's going to be really hard to see on this Montreal team. Elon, what were you going to say? No, I was just going to say, like, the thing is, you don't know with goalies, like, the health, a health concern can really affect you. Like, if you're not at 100%, like, you look at a guy like Corey Schneider, who was an always above 920 save percentage goalie year in, year out, like, so reliable. Then he seemed to start running into some injury trouble, and now he could barely even get above 910. And so, I don't know, like, hopefully Carey Price is fine, and he'll be able to get back to his, like, 920 plus save percentages, but it's not a guarantee. 
I I have no idea what just happened in the past four minutes. I feel like I lost my mind and I went all in on the Montreal Canadiens, and now I I feel like we should end the show. I, yeah. <laughs> I lost all credibility. Um. Okay. The New Jersey Devils. So, okay. I here's okay. I, here's what I want to mention with this team because I feel like the natural inclination is to go oh, Taylor Hall and everyone else, but I kind of want to spend the, all four minutes talking about Nico Hishier. <laughs> so Hishier, like he was only 19 last season. He still mm-hmm. hit 52 points, centering the top line, and he wasn't even on the top power play. And he got 52 points, which is very impressive. So there's so much upside because he's probably just going to be better because he's older. He's apparently been putting on muscle over the summer. And I, you got to imagine now Pat Maroon's gone. Like Zajac's a year older. Like there's got to be a spot for Nico Hishier on that top power play. So I feel like he has a ton of upside for next year. I like him, and I also like Kyle Palmieri actually to have uh, an improvement over last year. But let's focus on Hishier. Like, like he was drafted first overall for a reason, and I feel like playing with Taylor Hall all year on the top line and top power play, I, I feel like sixty points is very reasonable, maybe even upside for more. But you look at it, I wonder like what people think of his rookie season in terms of like do you view did they view it as a success or because like I, I feel like low, sneaky he was amazing. I mean he what he had he was thirty second in the league in five on five points ahead of guys like Blake Wheeler, Phil Kessel, Vlad Tarasenko. He was tied for sixteenth in five on five primary points with guys like Eric Stahl and Leon Draisaitl and Sean Couturier. And obviously, he wasn't even playing heavy minutes. So if you prorate that on a per minute basis, he jumps up even more. Like he was so effective. And and you're right, if he all of a sudden gets some of those power play opportunities and he keeps playing with Taylor Hall on the top line, like the sky's the limit for this guy. I feel like it wouldn't necessarily even be surprising based on how good he was already as a rookie, but I feel like people might get caught off guard a little bit by his insane point totals if he starts start, start getting some of those easier opportunities. Yeah, because you look at his numbers and you see 52 points, whatever. I mean, that's yeah. great, but that's what we expect for the first overall pick. Great, he came into the league, he did what he was supposed to do, but only six power play points. And Dimitri, you're, you're just running down all the ways he stood out at even strength. Uh, here, here's another way to slice it. Only three 19-year-old rookies have scored 19 five-on-five goals since 05-06. And those three are Dylan Larkin, Sean Monaghan, and Nico Heeshear. But what separates Heeshear from those other two is that he wasn't even close to going Cy Young. Like Sean Monaghan only had 12 assists. Uh, Dylan Larkin had 22 assists, but he sure had 32 assists. Uh, so that means that not only was he uh, excellent at putting pucks in that even strength, but he was also really great at setting up teammates and helping to create. Of course, it helped him that Taylor Hall was there. But for context, uh, Nico Heeshear had the same amount of five-on-five points last season as Taylor Hall did. So you throw in some growth, throw in some muscle and it's, uh, it seems like it's going to be a pretty exciting season for Heeshear. I'm all in. But Dimitri, I'd love to spend a little bit of time talking about Palmieri, if you don't mind. I feel like he's a little <laughs> bit... Really pushing this agenda. Were you hired as Kyle Palmieri's agent this offseason? All right, listen to this. Just like you said about Cam Atkinson, like I, think, I feel like Palmieri had a similar season. He had 44 points in 62 games overall, which is a 58-point pace, which, would, by the way, would have been a career high. But if you, look, if you break it down, he had seven points in his first seven games. He was amazing. Then he had a foot injury, and he returned from it, and he was clearly not at 100%. He ended up missing more time after they realized he wasn't really ready. Then, by the end of January, January he found his game again and like he ended the season with 28 points in his final 33 games for 70 point pace playing with Heeshear and Taylor Hall so I feel like just like Heeshear has room to grow I feel like so does Paul Mary if he can play a full healthy season with those two guys I think he could be 60 plus for sure maybe hit 65 yeah 
No, he could. I'm sure he's going to be happy you've done your job as his agent. You've, uh, <laughs> yeah, the, de- uh, the degree to which Elon pushes his own agenda just illustrates how, like, the, the chasm in our disagreement <laughs> on a given player. Like, when he's like, I really need to talk about Jonathan Quick with you, Dimitri. Yeah, oh, please, we need to. Same level. Um, all right, guys, we're done with New Jersey here. Let's take a quick break to hear from uh, a sponsor of the Hockeypedia cast, and we're going to pick it up with the New York Islanders and the other things. Hopefully you guys are enjoying today's episode of the Hockeypedia cast. I know it's a bit of a change of pace from the regularly scheduled programming on the show. Uh, we don't typically talk about fantasy a ton, but I'd like to get into a little bit more of it this season. Uh, I've been playing for years myself, and I'm an avid player, and I know a ton of you are as well because um, I constantly get questions from listeners about uh, you know, start or sit, who I should be picking up, who I should be targeting in trades. So with it being preview season and all, I thought it was a good time of any to do this type of show and hopefully uh, there's going to be some useful information for you to glean from it. And as the season gets going, uh, I know people play in year-long leagues, but we're going to get some uh, daily contests going on FanDuel and partnering up with them. So I'll tell you all about it more in, uh, in shows to come. Until then, though, let's talk about SeatGeek because they are the ones who are making today's episode of the Hockeypedia cast possible by sponsoring us and helping us out. And they're going to help you out as well because they know that getting tickets online can be a really complicated process. There's hundreds of sites out there and varying levels of reliability and it's hard to know who to trust and that's why SeatGeek is going to be the way to go because they really serve as something of a one-stop shop they scour the website for the, the web for you they pull millions of tickets into one place you can easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay and this is the perfect time of year to, if you've kind of been hesitant, you've heard about SeatGeek on this podcast, you've heard about it in elsewhere, but you've been hesitant to give them a shot or really take the plunge, this really is the best time of year to do so. I mean, coming up here in October, we've got hockey and basketball season starting. We've got the NFL season in full swing. MLB playoffs are around the corner. Uh, there's so much good live sports action going on that I'm sure that regardless of whatever, wherever you're living or whatever you're into, there's going to be something out there for you. And the thing about SeatGeek is it that's not all. They're actually going to sweeten the pot for you because as my listener, you're going to get $20 off your first purchase with them. All you have to do to claim that reward is just download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code PDO today. That's promo code PDO for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Now, let's get back to the show. All right. Um, let's do the Islanders. We'll start the clock four minutes. Um, I'm ready to go. Let me, got, throw, let me throw a name at you as, as the one I'm most excited about, because obviously Matt Barzell is going to get a lot of the headlines. Anthony Beauvier as a value is the most intriguing player on this team for me. Yeah, that's who I had also to bring up. We're, we're on the same wavelength, Dimitri. Like, like he's, been pl- he's been playing with Barzell at, like, during the preseason so far. Bailey was with them on Saturday for the win over the Rangers, and Beauvier had two goals. Bailey had a goal and a couple assists. Barzell had a couple assists. I'm, I'm talking about one preseason game here. The second line was Lee, Eberly, and Nelson. But I feel like Anthony Beauvillier, he was so good last year. Once he got up, once he finally bumped Andrew Ladd from that, I guess, second line at the time to get with Barzell, he had 29 points in 40 games to end last season. That's a 59-point pace. And now if he's going to get top-line minutes with Barzell next year, which it seems like that might happen since he's shown he has chemistry with him there's a lot of upside there and i feel like you could get him very late in fantasy drafts or maybe even pick him up out of free agency yeah i mean he had 21 goals in 71 games and obviously i was actually looking at this it was a pretty clean split for him he had like 440 minutes at five on five with barzal and 440 without him pretty much and you know it was a tale of two seasons for him obviously playing 
with Barzell, his numbers were amazing. And I think if he's going to get a full year with him, those two could run wild. I'm really curious because uh, obviously expectations are through the roof for Barzal this season. I'm very fascinated to see, you know, there's going to be more opportunity for him. I feel like he's, they pretty much should be using him whenever they possibly can, unless he's tired. Um, with Altavera's there, but at the same time now opposing defenses real will really get the key in on him and his line and focus all their defensive efforts and game planning on him. And I wonder if that's going to decrease his, defic- his efficiency a little bit, but ultimately, I mean, I think the talent's going to win out and the opportunity will as well. And he's going to be perfectly fine. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't shy away from him at all in drafts. Neither would I. I'm believing that Barzal can keep doing what he's doing, even though he is the guy in Long Island now. And Beauvillier, it's the same. Uh, I have the same story as you, right? It was a tale of two seasons, like you said. Either he was great while playing with Barzal or totally irrelevant when playing away from him. Um, he had, on on his whole season, he had 36 points in 71 games as a 20-year-old 20, 20 sophomore. Uh, this is Beauvillier. Uh, but there is that downside. I, well, those aren't impressive numbers, but they were impressive when he was with Barzal. And if you want to take a late flyer on him, great. Just remember that there's that downside, that if he doesn't hold on the top line, he won't be so valuable. But if he does hold, that would be awful news for Anders Lee who suddenly is, is, has not only lost his best friend centerman, who's who, like they've been making such great plays together for so long, uh, but he gets a, a loss in what's likely to be his ice time too by going down to the second line. Yeah, I mean, he will get to play with one of your favorite players, Ryan Jordan Everly. So that's so good. He'll probably, I'm sure, honestly, well, I mean, if they go Bovillier, Bailey, and Barzil on the top line right. like they were doing on Saturday, who knows how it'll shake out. Either way, at least Anders Lee is going to be on that top power play, and I'm sure he's going to get a lot of goals there like he did last year. Yeah, and a couple names for people to keep in mind on the blue line, like, uh, you know, Ryan Pulak was obviously very impressive, especially as the year got going last year, and they're going to rely on him, especially on the power play, and he'll generate a ton of shots, and I'm sure he's going to score a bunch of goals. So he's kind of an intriguing guy. And another name to keep in mind in deeper leagues, um, and we'll see if he makes the team, because for some reason they signed Lucas Pisa to a one-way deal today, which is absolutely insane and mind-boggling. But Devin Taves, who has had awesome numbers at lower levels and really thrived at the AHL, and he seems like another guy who, you know, there's not a ton of talent on that blue line. So if they give him the opportunity, I feel like he could take that job and run with it, but we'll see what they decide to do because ultimately like it's a Lula Amarillo team and Barry Trotz is running it and they might just go with a veterans quote unquote safe defenseman instead. That's just another, another one of those. I, I, I said this thing about there being an Islanders tax. Uh, was it a couple weeks ago, Elon? Yeah. And in, in, in any case, I was saying, you know, just because I have no idea what the Islanders are doing, like why they're signing Komarov and Phil Pula and acquiring Matt Martin, uh, that, that makes me a little concerned about investing in any of their players uh, for fantasy reasons, just because I, you know, I, I, have, I, I don't know what the plan is and I can't yeah. make sense of it. And now you can add uh, signing Lucas Spisa to that list of things that sort of justify this perspective. Dimitri, before we go to the Rangers, really quick, who's going to get more games next year between Thomas Grice and Robin Leonard? I think Robin Leonard. I think it'll be close. I think it'll be one of those like classic 50-50, 1A, 1B splits. But I think uh, I'm going to go with like 48 games for Robin Leonard. I pulled that number randomly out, out of a hat. I don't, I don't know why. but um, The New York Rangers, you know, you were talking about there for a second about how the Islanders concern you because there seems to be no coherent plan and you don't know how they're going to act this season, at least with this Rangers team. 
it seems like, you know, they fully embrace the youth movement. They've got this new coach and David Quinn coming from the collegiate level who will in theory utilize those guys and kind of work through the growing pains and not necessarily bench a guy like Pavel Buchnevich every time he makes a mistake. So like, are we excited about this team as potentially having a bunch of room to have relevant fantasy hockey guys just because they're going to play their young skilled guys without necessarily worrying about whether it costs them NHL games? Like, I feel like the Rangers are so interesting because they could totally go into rebuild mode and, you know, ship a bunch of guys at the trade deadline. Or, like, you know, there were rumors that he w- they were in the market to sign Artemi Panarin. And if they do that, they could easily just shift the plan and all of a sudden, you know, hold on to whatever, Kreider and Zuccarello. And, you know, and they do have Kevin Shattenkirk, who was injured for most of last season. And I think a lot of people have forgotten about him now. He had two assists in the game against the Islanders on Saturday. And, like, he's a guy who had, he was a 55-plus point pace guy for a bunch of years in a row on the Blues. He had a great start last season, 18 points in his first 25 games. But then he totally fell off and eventually had that season ending surgery but i feel like kevin shattenkirk's totally under the radar but he could he's like a potential like 50 plus point defenseman even on this rangers team and also mika zibanejad i feel like has room to really break out so and like you said pavel buchnevich if he could actually get consistent time on the top line and top power like i think there is a lot of potential for this rangers team or they could just ship a bunch of people away and do a rebuild and be great in a few years yeah, and that extends to what it means for Henrik Lundqvist also, right? Is he playing for a, a team that is at least acting like they have a shot? Or is he playing for a team that's resigned itself to, uh, you know, this being year one of a, of a longer term rebuild? And I, there, there was a letter to fans, right, saying to be patient, we're working on this. Yeah, there was. Yeah. I think obviously... Um like Henrik Lundqvist an all-time great. And I, th- I feel like there's still going to be plenty of nights where he stands on his head and has a 50-save performance that wins the Rangers the game that they have no reason winning. Or, but at the same time, like, I, gotta, I think the days of him being a top fantasy guy are are over. I think like I you you guys kind of made fun of me about uh, on your show that it sounded like we were just kind of replaying my takes on Timo Meyer from last season. And I feel like I'm doing that with Butchnevich again here. But I... I this has to be the year, right? Like the talent is there. Ellington yeah. was misusing him so badly. Every time he made a mistake, it seemed, it seemed like he'd get benched. And like David DeHarnay was playing ahead of him. And it was just a mess last year. And he's been so good with Zabinajad whenever they've played together. And, you know, his passing was Zabinajad's shot. We've seen it on the power play, how lethal it can be. And hopefully those guys are just attached to the hip all season and can make sweet music together. Yeah, but Buchnevich and Meyer, like the difference here, last season, you were like, you you were saying the same thing and so were we, but there was a clear villain in this whole scenario. And that was right. Alain Vigneault. And now he's gone. It's sort of like Spezza in Dallas that, okay, now that, now that this guy's not coaching anymore and we have someone else making choices, maybe that person is still going to be able to unlock this player's potential. And I'm, I'm also going to circle way back to Shattenkirk, who Elon mentioned as being a great value pick. He's someone who you would have had to try and nab as like your first or second best defenseman. But I've seen him going in drafts as like someone's third or fourth defenseman because people are forgetting just how elite a player he is, especially on the power. Well, particularly on the power play. And last year he played through like this torn meniscus injury, which by the way, was nothing compared to what Cody Cece has played through. So let's take a moment to, to oh. realize that, but that was probably the driving force behind Shattenkirk having the lowest power play points per 60 rate since his breakout 2012, 13 season. 
So now he's got a, a healthy body. Uh, the team around him is going to be good. And I still think he's an elite power play quarterback. He actually still managed to raise his shots on goal per 60 rates and uh, suffered from his teammates not converting very well on their own chances on the power play. So a lot of things went wrong, even while uh, Shattenkirk was still uh, hurt and you know, disabled to some extent. So this year he's healthy. His team, it should see some aggression on the power play. I'm really, really optimistic about Shattenkirk. Okay. Well, let's do our two minutes now on the Ottawa Senators. And you mentioned uh, Cody CC persevering throughout his career so far, despite being Cody CC to keep playing <laughs> NHL games. And the biggest question for me with his team is, I guess, twofold. One, do we view this as a bit of a kind of sneaky land of opportunity just because even though it's a disastrous tire fire. Like ultimately at the end of the day, someone's going to have to eat up minutes and produce, or is it just a complete stay away? I mean, I feel like there's a couple of players on Ottawa who might have a chance to really surprise like Brady Kachuk, you know, they're going to force him down everyone's throats. But like at the end of the day, if he's playing on the top line and top power play with Mark Stone, he can have an impact next year in his rookie season. I'm assuming he's making the team. Also, Thomas Shabbat, now that Carlson's gone, you got to assume he's the guy who's going to take over as the top power play quarterback. He assisted on a Duchesne power play goal on Friday, a rare goal that Ottawa scored in the preseason. They've lost all four games they've played so far. So I feel like those are a couple of guys that you think could do something. But like, imagine if they move Duchesne and Mark Stone at the trade deadline because they realize they're not going to sign. Then all of a sudden, it's like, how good can this team be? I guess like just pure minutes, you think they could do something. Thing, but you need to have someone to play with like Bobby Ryan <laughs> someone so there are people who will be wearing Ottawa Senators uniforms and skating up like and Eugene down <laughs> <laughs> yeah or Vietsky. I think the new uniform should be polo shirts for everybody and and the bench should just be one large easy chair um okay Ottawa Senators who so Cody Cece yeah, he's going to have a ton of minutes, which means he's going to have a ton of blocks. So if your league counts those, that's great. He might have a few shots. Uh, that's great, too. Brady Kachuk is getting really great billing early on. It seemed as though, I mean, and this is, it's hard to tease apart which of it is skill and which of it is PR, because I think the Sens have really decided to go all in on Kachuk as somebody who can sell hope and tickets through this season and what's going to be a a pretty dark year or two for the franchise. So it's hard to know if he's really going to be able to bring it with this high-end deployment that's being hinted at through the preseason. As of three months ago, he was maybe going to stay in college and then he was probably going to go to London of the OHL to play and now potentially top line uh, winger with the big club. So he's one guy to keep an eye on. Of course, uh, Duchesne and Stone are obvious. People forget about Duchesne and Stone. I think they're going to be good value later in draft so long as your league doesn't count plus minus and it shouldn't. Uh, Ryan Dezingle is the other sneaky senator who you might be able to get your hands on. I'm not sure how Brady Kachuk's ascent is really going to impact him, but before thinking that Kachuk had a shot at a place on the top line or a top power play, Ryan Dezingle seemed like someone who was going to slot in nicely alongside Duchesne and be able to, he's a decent finisher. So he might be able to, to, to notch a goal or two here and there. All right, guys, our top, our two minutes are up. Um, <laughs> and let's, let's move on because I mean, we're getting like, we're approaching like the three hour mark now of, of podcasting and I love you guys, but it's, uh, it's been a long night. Um, but also I think, I feel like these final five teams, it's really, uh, 
bit of a murderer's row, right? Like we've got the Flyers, the Penguins, the Lightning, the Leafs, and the Capitals. Like there's going to be so much fantasy goodness for us to talk about with these teams. So let's start it off with the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, and I, I mean, yeah, <laughs> like there's so much we could talk about with them. Like you've got Konechny online well, like Nolan Patrick is probably going to have a breakout. Like, you know, aside from the obvious stars, Claude Giroux, who had probably uh, overachieved last season. But I'd love to spend some time talking about the goaltending situation because Brian Elliott, he dealt with persistent issues last season related to a uh, core muscle surgery. He's gotten 20 minutes of preseason time so far, like before today, and he sucked. And apparently he played today also, I think, and he sucked there as well. Neuwirth, as usual, is out with a groin injury. Lion is injured. Stolarz is, you know, I mean, like, whatever. Anthony Stolarz. Uh, so then we have, like, 20-year-old Carter Hart, who's been fantastic so far in the preseason. Two goals against on 47 shots. Uh, he's the goalie of the future. But ever since Neuwirth went down with his injury, I've seen a lot of starter Hart murmurings on Twitter. Could Carter Hart be, like, kind of like this year's Hellebuck to Elliot Steve Mason, like, taking over early and ending up being a top goalie in the league? Or maybe I'm getting my head up, ahead of myself. But, like, Philly's a really strong looking team like forwards and defense they just need a goalie who can stop the puck and maybe carter hart is the guy even though he's still young congratulations on summarizing 15 years or 20 or more of philadelphia flyers franchise history it's yeah no i I think carter hart probably is the best option they have right now but just based on how we know uh how teams typically operate at the nhl level it's like they're going to be ultra conservative and probably just go with the proven commodities they have in Elliott and Neuberth, even though they don't necessarily give them the best chance to win. So I feel like it's going to take a while for that to happen, but you're right. I mean, just based on how he's produced up until this point in his young career, like there's a lot to like about Carter Hart. And when he does get this job, like I, I feel like he's going to be right there with, with those UC Soros as the world as like the next, next wave of goaltending at the NHL level. When he does get this job as a Columbus Blue Jacket, am I right? Uh, he's only 20, yeah. right? So so anyone expecting him to step in and do something big, he, he hasn't played a pro season, right? Just a few months ago, he led the Everett Silver Tips of the Western Hockey League to the league finals. Um, so hoping for Hart to step in like someone like Hellebuck has. Hellebuck had some pro experience going into his breakout year. Does anybody want to guess uh, who the only 20-year-old goalies to play at least 40 games in the salary cap era are? Mm. Murray? No. Nope. Oh. Uh, I should say idea. regular season games. Yeah, go for it. I have no idea. Steve Mason with uh, with Columbus, 61 right. games, and Carey Price. But mm. those were those were 10, and Price only played 40. That was 10 and 11 years ago, respectively. Though. So you're right, Dimitri. Uh, like All these NHL clubs... Ultra conservative. It seems unlikely that Carter Hart is going to be called upon. Brian Elliott, he just played his first full preseason game. Apparently, that's a that was a big step for him after working through some injuries. He looks like he had just worked through some injuries. Uh, I, I still think he's probably opening night starter. Here's my uh, one question for you guys. Uh, sorry to cut you off, but Wayne Simmons is one of the more, only really intriguing uh, forwards for me to talk about with this group. Cause it seems like those top guys are kind of, we know what they are and they're going to be really good with Wayne Simmons. Obviously last year he was banged up. He had off season surgery. He's got one year left on his deal and he's going to be a very intriguing contract to follow because of his age and his playing style. You don't necessarily want to commit long-term to him. Kind of like what we saw with Milan Lucic and the Oilers. But at the same time, like it looks like for at least for now, he's been bumped out of that top six. And he'll be playing on a third line at 5-1-5. And on the power play, he's listed currently as still being on the top unit. But with James Van Riemsdyk as kind of a 
potent net front power play presence and the money they threw at him this summer. I wonder like if there's a bit of redundancy there and if Wayne Simmons could get kind of caught looking on the outside in just purely based on this numbers game. Last year was sort of a, a throwaway for Wayne Simmons. We, we've gone through the laundry list of ailments he was playing through. So it's sort of like whatever he did last season, forget it. It doesn't really demonstrate who Wayne Simmons is. He didn't just fall off a cliff in, in, in terms of what he's able to do offensively. But the tricky part is, like you mentioned, James Van Riemsdyk is in the picture now, and he is in a lot of ways a better version. Like he does a lot of the things that Wayne Simmons does. He plays net front on the power play. Uh, he converts really well. Uh, and he, he's sort of the Wayne Simmons plus at this point. Elon, did I cut you off? No, no, that's pretty much the right thing. Like, I feel like with Simmons, he could be a sleeper guy because you say like, oh, last year he wasn't demonstrating how good he could be because he was so injured. But then like with the deployment, it could really go either way. Like, it just goes to show how good this Philly team is that you could have Wayne Simmons not in the top six and not on the top power play. But it's definitely foreseeably possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, okay, the Penguins. Where do you want to start? I guess we got to start with the top line. Like we always do like pretty much every episode or two of keeping Carlson. We're talking about who's playing with Crosby on line one. And right now it's looking like Gensel and Sprung are going to be there. So you might have a really nice sleeper option in Daniel Sprung. And by the way, even Gensel, who is maybe a little bit more off people's radars than he was at the start of last season. Like everyone was really into Gensel going into last year, but you know, he ended up with only 48 points. I feel like he could get at least 50 if he's able to stay with Crosby all season and Daniel Sprung. Like, I don't know, like he seems like a good late round sleeper. What do you think about Daniel Sprung versus Ty Ratty, who we talked about in the last episode? Who do you think is going to have a better year? Oh man, that's a tough one. Um, yeah, I mean, we've seen like, listen, whether it was Connor Sheary or whether it's been Jake Gensel over the years or whoever, Chris Kunitz, Pascal Dupuis, you go on down the line. Mm-hmm. Like if you were guaranteed a spot with Sidney Crosby, you're going to have an awesome season. And you just look at the list of players. Like it seems like he will at least have a bit of wiggle room or, or, or a bit of a leash here. Like it's not, it doesn't feel like after a couple of games, they're going to bump him from that spot just because there aren't too many obvious fits above him other than like it seems like they do want to have Hornquist and Brassard playing on that third line and go with those three scoring lines so yeah I mean if he's going to stick there and he's looked really good at the AHL level I know Corey Proudman and his prospect reports for the athletic is still a believer and still raves about him and so there's a lot to like there and and the opportunity is the most important part it looks like he has it right now and I think I am I think I'm buying it I think I like him as a sort of sneaky guy who could produce massive points playing with Crosby. Me too. He has that goal scoring acumen and we're talking about sprung still, right? You didn't yep. flip back to Gensel. No, no, no. Yeah. We already know kind of what Gensel is at this point, which is right. And, and the trouble, the trouble with Gensel too, is that even if he does play on the top line all season long, it's going to be so hard to get a sniff on that top power play, which is what would really, you know, make him as valuable as everybody thought he could possibly be going into last year's, season Uh, but going back to sprung he was second in ahl goal scoring last year 32 goals uh to go with 33 assists for 65 points in 65 games with the wilkes barry uh scranton baby pens uh fifth in the ahl for total points Uh, the thing with sprung though is that if he does slip up or if it's not working out he's got to hold off both hornquist and kessel for his spot on a depth chart although it sounds like Dimitri, you're sort of of the mind that those two are where they are in the depth chart to keep that top nine really healthy so that even if Daniel Sprung does struggle, it's not like all of a sudden they're going to say, oh, 
like uh, Kessel, Hornquist, we, we need one of you up here with Crosby. Yeah, I feel like Kessel's going to stick with Malkin on that second line, and they've shown over the years that they don't necessarily love loading up fully, and they like having that three-line balance attack. So I think, especially in the regular season, I think they're going to, it behooves them to give Daniel Sprong a bit of a longer look than he's gotten in, in past years. And I don't know, I mean, it's obviously going to be a matter of him actually taking advantage of it and producing, but I feel like he's set up to do so. Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. And maybe really quickly on Pittsburgh, I'd love to talk about Chris Letang for a second. Like last year, he finally did what we've been waiting for for so long. He stayed healthy for the whole season. He only missed like three games. But strangely, he only ended up with 51 points when he used to be a really good bet to be like 60 plus point pace, even like a 70 point pace guy. But just he could never stay healthy. So I wonder if next year he could do both, like be healthy all year and get back to being like a 65 point defenseman. I feel like he's a bit underrated right now. And going into next year, like Brian was talking about this amazing top power play on Pittsburgh, he's going to be quarterbacking it again. And I feel like Chris Letang could be primed. I don't know if you could call it a breakout at this point in his career, but I think he could do better than the 51 points he put up last year. Yeah, I mean, I remember his, like, especially, I mean, for the full team, uh, they were going through this weird spiral at the start of the year and all of their on-ice shooting and save percentages were out of whack. But especially his, I remember when it came up that the Penguins are considering trading him, or at least his name was floating around in rumors. I like looked into it and it was crazy just what was going on with those underlying numbers and which was pretty much mostly out of his control. I know that sometimes he makes this kind of glaring gaffe or two and people latch onto it and blame him for it, but I still think he's a fine player at this point in his career. And you're right. Assuming health, which I guess with him at this point, um, is a risky thing to just take for granted. But if he can play in 70 plus games, I feel like, uh, an offensive bounce back of sorts is in, is in order for him. Cool. So, uh, me shall too. We? All right. Brian's into him too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Good. Um, I'm glad I, we're on the same page. a word for a player who, who reclaims his status. We've been trying to find this word over the course of He's both bounce back player. He's just bouncing back. Bounce, that's the word. He's bouncing Let's use back. the word. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's definitely not breaking out. Um, okay. The Tampa Bay lightning. Yeah, so interesting practice lines came out today. Stamkos and Kucherov split up. They were going with JT Miller, Stamkos, and Killorn, and then Palat, Point, and Kucherov, which I feel like the player that really jumps out to me is Braden Point, because he was already so amazing last year, 66 points as a 21-year-old. Now, if he's going to play with Kucherov, like centering him, and not to say that's going to happen, like who knows, it's just a practice line, but I was already so excited for him for next year. He even got on the top power play by the end of the year. I feel like Braden Point's going to join the 70-point club, and I'm really excited about him and someone like JT Miller who was really great at the end of last year when he got to Tampa Bay and was playing with Stamkos and Kucherov he had 18 points in 19 games though he wasn't great in the playoffs uh like I don't know like Miller is someone I think people are really excited about but you know I wouldn't reach too far for him just because if he gets bumped down that lineup who knows what could what could happen but Braden Point I'm all in on I think he's gonna have an amazing year so I've got two players to throw at you guys if you could choose who you want to talk about JT Miller is the guy, like when you're at your draft table and someone else is looking at him, you can say, yeah, you know, he had 18 points in 19 games with Tampa, but his shooting percentages were ridiculous. He had five power play goals on 10 power play shots. That's not going to keep up. You sure you want that guy? And then you can just nab him later because, yes, he had favorable percentages, but Miller also raised his game as a member of the Tampa Bay Lightning. He was letting pucks fly at even strength and on the power play in ways that we hadn't seen him ever really do on a consistent basis in uh, New York Rangers uniform. 
So that's why I like JT Miller going into it. And like his, 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 uh, his deployment in New York was also sort of all over the place, right? He'd bounce all around the top nine just when he was getting in a groove somewhere. He'd be shifted somewhere else and he could always handle it. So Tampa seems like a pretty great place to be moved around the top nine, if that's even his worst case scenario. Uh, seems pretty good to me. And then Braden Point, Elon, I'm with you that uh, he can join the 70-point club this year. He had 106 points in his first 150 NHL games. Other players who've done that, uh, McKinnon, Getzlaff, Aho, Nylander, Skinner, Klingberg somehow. And then we saw Braden Point as a sophomore up his shot on goal and shot attempt rates per 60 minutes as well. So that's all great. I'm really excited. Like, he's so fun to watch, too. Uh, he just seems so talented. And if he can hold down that top power play spot, he is uh, like going to be great value. I feel like you can draft him uh, as a 70-point player, assuming he, he meets that projection. But around the time that everyone else is like messing with 55, 60-point guys, you can probably get him right around there. Yeah, you're, you're right. I just wanted to echo or bounce back to uh, what you were saying about JT Miller. It's, I mean, we saw last year, the start of the year in that spot, uh, what Vlad Nemeskov did and he was awesome. And then what Miller did when he came into the Tampa Bay situation and stepped right into that. And whether it's with point or Stamkos centering that top line, as long as he's playing with Kucherov, I've, I have no doubt he's going to produce. And you're right. Like if he gets bumped down to the third line, he's still playing with like Tyler Johnson and whoever else, like it's, that's probably good enough to be anyone else's second or maybe potentially even first line. So there's so much talent on this team. I feel like maybe, you know, aside from the Kucherov, Stamkos, and, and points, like the other guys might be hampered a little bit just because there's no need to really ride them with giving them a ton of minutes or opportunity or they can kind of bounce around the lineup and this team's going to score goals regardless of who's out on the ice. So that might lower their ceiling a little bit, but it also kind of raises their floor because you know that regardless of what line they're on, they're going to be playing with a couple other really good players. Yeah, this team is just like so deep. Like we won't even have time to talk about Yanni Gourd and like, you know, some other players who broke out last year and like their defense also like heaven. They've got Sergachev still coming up. Like this is definitely uh, like a strong cup contender, probably the front runner, I'd have to imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think it's like the problem with talking about a team like this is is it's just so obvious at this point with with these guys. Like I'm, I'm glad we had that brain point discussion and the JT Miller stuff. But for uh, otherwise, it's like do we really need to tell people that Victor Hedman is very good and Nikuda Kucherov is going to probably be like a top three guy in points again? Like it's, yeah, people know that already. If we want to say something negative, we could talk about Dan Girardi for a bit. No, because people already know that too. So it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like talking about Dan Girardi and Ryan Callahan's old news at this point as well. Um, let's, let's, let's go right to the Leafs then. All right, well, everything's awesome on the Leafs. I have a coworker who's a huge Leafs fan, and he's just, like, talking to me about them all the time. Like, how can you not get excited? Like, Tavares and Marner playing great together, along with, uh, you know, solid third wheel. Zach Hyman's always around, doing fine. And, like, Matthews and Marlowe both had a couple points themselves, playing with Tyler Ennis in some recent preseason games, which is kind of funny. Like, Nylander is still waiting to sign a contract. Who knows how long he'll wait? But it seems like Tyler Ennis is actually... uh, filling in pretty well for however long Nylander will be out. And this has been playing 19 plus minutes and he has a couple goals and assists in three games. I guess that's what happens when you play with Matthews. And then the buzz is Toronto's been loading up the top power play. We thought maybe they would go with two even units like they were doing last year, but it seems like they've got Tavares, Matthews, Marner all on the top power play, which means there will be some big winners and losers, both in terms of like, I guess like maybe Kadri versus Nylander for who gets that last forward spot. And then Riley versus Gardner for who gets that last defense spot. All assuming that Nylander signs, which it, it how could he not, right? He will I, eventually. So, 
Right. I, I saw a comparison made. His agent is also Johnny Gaudreau's agent. And Johnny Gaudreau, in a similar point in his career, in a similar situation, held out till October 10th, signed his contract then. So, you know, tried to gain a little, a little bit of leverage by waiting past opening night. So maybe we're seeing the same playbook here. That's the biggest question at the moment. But it kind of must be kind of annoying to him and his agent to see Tyler Ennis in there. And the Leafs are probably just like pointing, see, see that guy can do what we want you to do. Uh, of course, Nylander is a better player than Tyler Ennis. This could be the first year in a long time. Like the way I'm summarizing the whole Leafs fantasy value is this is the first time in a long time that it may be impossible for Leafs to be overvalued in fantasy draft by Leafs homers and Leafs fans playing fantasy, which means that if you are a Leafs homer who likes to grab Leafs on your fantasy team to cheer for, you may, you may not have a choice. You know, usually you've just been able to reach for a guy a couple rounds early and cheer for him that way. But now you might just want to try to draft a really good team uh, and get a whole bunch of assets that you can trade away uh, in a lopsided lose trade for you to get your hometown players. Uh, they have such an embarrassment of riches up front too, right? Because like for mo- in most other situations, I'd be all in on guys like Andreas Janssen and Kasperi Kapanen as breakout candidates and guys who could sneakily have huge seasons. But on this team, like they look prime for a third line spot. And I guess now they're going to be playing with Nazem Kadri, which is an awesome line. But just in terms of their usage and the volume of minutes they're going to receive, I don't know if it's enough to support that, especially without the prime power play minutes as well. I guess the one big question, and this is like really the, the you know, big time uh, rich person problems, but it's like, it, can Austin Matthews take that leap in year three to becoming one of those top handful of guys in fantasy? Because he's been tremendously effective, obviously, especially on a permanent basis in at five on five, but because of the power play usage and because he hasn't been having to play a ton uh, overall, he hasn't necessarily gotten the counting stats that, you know, some of these other guys, whether it was Kucherov or McKinnon or McDavid that we were talking about for the number two overall spot in drafts. Um, can Matthews enter that and be firmly in that discussion and potentially even be the number two guy in fantasy this season? I, mean, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know that he can be ahead of Liney, right? Like mm-hmm. that's the mountain that he's got to climb to be able to be the number two guy, but he still is a young goal heavy guy, which makes him super attractive in especially keeper dynasty leagues, but also in one year leagues. I don't know that you can uh, like legitimately grab him second overall in a one year league, but it's not out of the question that it could be the case in the next two or three years. Yeah, there's McKinnon also. But I mean, obviously the upside for him now is like if they're going to load up that top power play and he gets to play with Tavares on the top power play, that was my one concern is maybe he only gets 50% of the time not playing with John Tavares. But like if he's like, I don't know. I just feel like Matthews is so amazing. This team is, it's, it's all just very exciting. I'm ready for to drop the puck. I want to go to a bar and watch some games and <laughs> high five people whenever the Leafs are scoring goals. Yeah, no, they're going to put up a bunch of goals and having any guys on that team is uh you just kind of want to be in on the fun um okay let's wrap this up wow we're at we're at uh, the 31st team on our list the washington capitals yeah it only took us three hours yeah 
I'm glad that we did our podcast first, Dimitri. Ours has more, more energy, maybe. But I'm trying to keep it up here. I drank a Red Bull, and the Caps are a really fun team. So we could, like, obviously just talk about how awesome Ovechkin is and how, you know, whether or not we think he'll be able to do it again. But I think the one guy, I want to kind of go on a bit of a downer note and talk about Nicholas Backstrom, who's mm. lost his line one spot, centering Ovechkin. Now it's Kuznetsov there. I wonder, like, how far should we expect Backstrom to fall next season? Like, last year he was below 0.9 points per game for the first time since 2010-11. He only had 71 points, which is still great. Great, but Backstrom's always been like so amazing. Like, is that his new ceiling though? Now, a seventy-one point guy, if he's not playing with Ovechkin, like if he's going to play with TJ Oshie and like I don't know Jacob Verana or Burakovsky, mm-hmm. like it's not the greatest of line mates. No, I think oh, you go ahead, Dimitri. No, you go for it. You go for it, and then I'll jump oh, in. Thanks. Uh, yeah, Backstrom reminds me of well, I mean, not at all Anthony Bovley, but there is a quantifiable difference for when Backstrom's playing with Ovechkin and when he isn't. And of course, you want him playing with Ovechkin more often than not. Uh, One way that I would hope uh, Backstrom can compensate if he does lose time with Ovechkin is seeing his IPP rise again. And and I don't, IPP is something we use constantly, but I guess I'll try and give a, a very quick explanation. Individual points percentage. So it illustrates on what percentage of goals scored while a player is on the ice, how many of those the player registers a point on. And it's generally, you know, a player can establish themselves at a reasonably consistent number. And then like shooting percentage, it can bounce around or or spike or drop uh, suddenly, and then you can expect it to regress back the next year. So Backstrom's IPP, uh, the three years before last, was 82, 77, 78. And then uh, in 2017, 18, his IPP was a very not nice 69%. But, uh, so, uh, well, not a but, but I... So I'd hope that it can regress back up and that'll at least offer him a few extra points compared to last year, even if he does spend a lot of time away from Ovechkin. Backstrom is still an excellent uh, person at setting up shots. Uh, He's an excellent pass assister. And so I hope that is going to still help him bounce back. Like he's not done. He's not over. I still like him for somewhere around 70. So I should, I still like him around 70 points uh, and then 75. If he does play a half season with Ovechkin on his wing, like he still is good enough to create. And uh, that top power play time is also going to help him. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And it's not like, I mean, he's still playing with Brandon and Oshie who are fine players in their own right. So I think there's plenty of uh, fantasy goodness to go around there. And I guess you could just kind of, I'm still holding out hope for Andre Brokowski and Jakob Rana as, as breakout guys. Um, obviously Rana, if he gets to play on that second line, that's a massive luxury because while I do like Lars Eller quite a bit as a player and Brett Connolly's shown flashes as well, like if Burakovsky's playing on that third line, it's going to be tough for him to achieve, to reach and realize all of that potential and produce offensively with Rana. We saw what he's capable of in the postseason when he's actually playing with talented players that can match his skill and ability and vision and all that. So I love that top six. And I think uh, I'm not worried. I'm not really worried about this team. Like I know it's, it's kind of easy to make jokes about a Stanley Cup hangover and especially quite literally in this case with this team. And since we saw them just all very, very heavily drinking throughout the summer and, and really enjoying their Stanley Cup victory, which they definitely should. Um, you know, I think they've kind of, I think they're going to come back and, and be professional. And we've already seen Ovechkin's look good in the preseason. And I have no reason to believe he won't be at least in the 40, 40, 45 approach 50 goal range again and i think it's kind of status quo with this team like i think there's the top guys are going to be the top guys and they're all going to be going really high up drafts and should be 
Yeah, and you know, Dimitri, there is a way that both Jacob Verana and Andre Burakovsky can get into the top six. All that they need to do is get Tom Wilson out of there. I don't know that they paid him a lot of money, so maybe they're yeah. not going to move, move him down. Well, I guess you just wait for the Tom Wilson suspension to come, and then there's going to be an opportunity. Uh, yeah, things. wide open door. Verana is, is my Timo Meyer of the East. Mm-hmm. He's someone who we sort of tried to get excited about last year. Didn't pan out, but he has great shot rates and few minutes. So I'm hoping that he can muscle his way into a regular top six or even top line role this year. My fearless prediction is that Verona plays more minutes in the top six this season than Tom Wilson does. I mean, he should. And like, yeah, that's such a sweet spot. If Verona can get in with Ovechkin and Kuznetsov, we haven't even talked about Kuznetsov and how amazing he's been. So like, uh, it could be just a really great spot if he can get in there. Yeah, I agree. All right, guys, let's uh, let's get out of here. We've done enough. This was fun. Um, yeah, and it was a blast. This is uh, the part of the show where you guys plug some stuff. I know that uh, you've been churning out the fantasy goodness lately, so I'm going to give you guys an opportunity here to tell the listeners where they can check out some of your other work. Thanks. Yeah. So we, you know, have our podcast, Keeping Carlson. You can find us on iTunes or whatever. We did a crazy thing over the summer. We did the world's first ever NHL audio almanacs, like 27 plus hours of fantasy hockey content, breaking down every single team, coming up with a point projection for all the fantasy relevant players. So you could check that out, keepingcarlson.com slash almanac. But yeah, we'd love if you uh, become a listener of our show, at least listen to the Eastern Con- or Western Conference episode that we recorded. Yeah, that was a lot of fun yeah i'm on it so if uh if you're listening to this show and you like what i do go and listen to their version as well and then keep uh keep subscribed and and listening to the keeping carlson podcast because it's as good as it gets when it comes to fantasy hockey yeah basically just every week we like to uh, we really appreciate that yeah every week we're just going to try to break down what's going on in the league who's up who's down who's hot who's not and if we if brian's going to dig into the advanced stats and see if he thinks these players are going to be able to keep it up or not i love talking hockey but let's go to bed (laughs) yes yeah no this was fun guys all right um yeah Let's uh, let's check back in as the season gets going. Maybe we can look back at kind of what we got right, what we got wrong, and and recalibrate our expectations and all that good stuff. Sounds great. Sounds all good. Right. See you, Dimitri. Ch- good night. Chat soon. Bye. Thank you. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dimitri Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com/slash Hockey PDO Cast. Mm-hmm.